Mr. Norman, as he comes to bless us this morning, an incredible young man, love him dearly, and he is awesome. And when you hear him speak, you'll realize how much I've lost my accent. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. Can I come down here? Do you mind if I come down here on the floor? Is that okay, Phil? Okay, I'm going to come down and get a bit close to you guys. Great to see you all. And uh, who has never seen me before? Oh, wow. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? This church has honestly doubled since I was here last time, so big well done, and uh, I love that. I love seeing new people, and uh, like Phil said, um, my name's John, and uh, I was born in England with Phil in the same church in a place called Norwich, and uh, I went over to Australia to study, which is where I met Daniel and a lot of my friends, and I met my wife, Chantelle, who is absolutely beautiful, and uh, if you saw her and saw me, you'd either think, he's got a lot of money or there's a God. And I don't have a lot of money, okay? And so um, people see her and they look at me and they, they do the double take. But I'm, a, I'm an overachiever like Philip is and uh, with Kelly and we love you guys and really privileged to be here today. And then uh, we went back to England for five years and then God called us to South Africa. South Africa. Everyone say South Africa. That's how they speak. And uh, we called us to South Africa in 2008. And so um, got an American wife, studied in Australia, lived in England and now... Uh, reside in South Africa, so a bit of a multicultural, and I'm in America today, so it's great, and it's so good to be here. I've ministered here uh, a few times, and I always love coming, coming to Hartsey's Family Life Center. I want us to do something today. I want us all just to uh, just put your pens, notepads, Bibles, so I want us to stand up, and um, there's a principle that God, God gave me a word. I'm not going to preach this word today, but there's a principle he gave me. I went for a really hard time in 2010 where I lost my dad from cancer. And I went for a run, and God gave me this word. I'd been reading the Bible and uh, reading about the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of, the tribes, uh, one of the tribal names was Judah. And the word Judah means praise and worship. I'm sure we're all familiar with that. And as I went back after the run, and I, I was just worshiping praising God, I studied the tribe of Judah. And then God showed me this amazing thing. But every time they see the tribe of Judah, they didn't have machetes, they didn't have knives, they didn't have guns, they didn't have any of that stuff. The tribe of Judah, all they had was tambourines and flags and voices. That's all they had. That's what they're equipped with. And what they would do is they would send Judah first to the front of the battle. And Judah would go out ahead of them, and all they would do is praise and they would worship. And they would set up the scene for the armies of Israel to come in behind and take on the, the enemy. Every time, if you read in the Old Testament, every time the tribe of Judah went out first, they never lost a battle. And I want us to do something this, this, uh, this morning. And I did a message called Send Judah First. There's an old song we used to sing 
And uh, we, I'm, I want us to send Judah first this morning. Now, I know we praise and worship, but sometimes, you know, we can get so consumed by the words on the screen and the lights and the instruments, we can actually forget about what worship's about. And some of us can come in and say, oh, I didn't like that song. It was too loud, too soft, too old, too new, too fast, too slow. And we can get so caught up in what the song is about, we can actually miss what worship's about. And worship is all about sending Judah first. It's begin to praise and worship. And so before I speak a message, I want to send out Judah. Is that okay? Because I know that there's a battle that's going to go on because the word is what changes lives. The word is what, you know, it, it changes us. And the enemy doesn't like that, so he's going to try and stop us. So we're going to praise and we're going to worship, like, for, for, I don't know, for 30, 40 seconds. And I don't know whether you're traditional, Methodist, Baptist, I don't know who you are. Let's just lay all that stuff aside. And if you feel comfortable, I want us to lift our hands right now. And I want us to praise and worship. And I want to, we don't even need music. We don't need a song. We just need to, right now, we're going to focus on Jesus. And I want us just to begin to lift our voices, lift, lift our words. Just begin to tell him how much you love him right now. Tell him what he, if he's fed you this week, you've got something to thank him for. If he's clothed you this week, you've got something to thank him for. If he's protected you this week, we've got something to praise him for. Come on, let's begin to praise him. Father God, we just worship you. We praise you, Father, right now, Father God. We send you to first right now. Father God, I just thank you right now, Lord. I thank you right now, Father, for what you're going to do, Lord. We praise you, Father God. We lift up the name of Jesus high above any one of our needs, circumstances right now, Father God. We thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, right now as your word goes forth, it will bring around change, Father. It will transform, Father. Lord, you'd open our hearts, open our ears to what you're going to do, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise. Fantastic. And when you send Judah first, it always changes the atmosphere. It's a spiritual battle, you see, and that's what they, they, they understood in the Old Testament. Was and I really encourage you, if you've got stuff going on in your life, send Judah first. You know, just for 30 seconds, just lift up a shout of praise. Your stuff going on at work. Just go take a walk in the car park and send you to first. And I did a whole series on this, this concept. But honestly, it's a, it, it, it helped me overcome some real pain in my life, just a real praise and worship. Never limit praise and worship to 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's just that, that is just the collective celebration of as the church coming together. But worship is who we are. And, uh, you know, worship is never about us. I remember a guy once said to me, oh, I didn't, you know, I come out of church, he said, I didn't enjoy praise and worship too much this morning. I said, oh, that's okay, because it wasn't for you, you know, and, it, you know, it's not about us, it's, n- it's never about us, and so if you come in this morning, and, oh, I don't like that song, it's not about you, it's about God and worship, and just, so, just, just change your concept on that, and, uh, fantastic. Well, we're going to get into God's Word today, and, uh, there isn't a day goes by without I hearing this saying or a saying similar. And the saying is, I'm under pressure or I'm feeling the pressure. Has anyone ever said that? I'm under pressure. Is that a saying in America? People use the word pressure. And uh, I've come to realize that life is full of pressure. Would anyone tend to agree with me today that life can be full of pressure? And is there anyone out there today maybe feeling the heat, feeling the pressure, maybe at work, in family? and diff- Yeah, I can, I can see that today. You know, pressure comes in all different shapes and sizes. There's financial pressure, maybe some overspending from Christmas, 
or just can't make ends meet. Maybe your salary just doesn't hit your budget every month. Maybe there's family pressure, challenges within the family. Has anyone ever had some family pressure? I think we can all put our hands up. Some lady's waving like crazy at me at the back. (laughs) Marriage pressure. Has anyone had a bit of marriage pressure? I think we can all say we've had some marriage pressure. That same lady's waving at me. And... uh, Peer pressure. You know, friends pressurizing us to do things that we don't want us to do. Pressure comes in so many different shapes and sizes. And uh, pressure at work. Pressure at work. I remember my first job, I worked at Burger King. Real, real breakthrough. And uh, where you start is not where you finish. There's a message right there. And uh, I worked at Burger King, and my job was to make the Whopper. And I remember the pressure I felt as a 16-year-old Whopper maker. We had to make the Whopper in 30 seconds. And my boss would stand over me, and he had bad breath. And uh, he would stand over me. And the pressure was to make the Whopper. And I remember feeling the pressure at work. Maybe it's pressure with your health. Pressure, maybe you've got a back condition, a skin condition, a tooth condition. And we can have pressure from so many different sides. Maybe it's pressure with your kids. They're just out of control. They're running wild and you're feeling the pressure today. Pressure is the invisible force which we live with in our lives. And you know, the devil loves to see us living with pressure. He loves to see us under pressure. And my message today is this. Just a simple message. And I believe, you know, as you do this, this uh, series, Refocus, is to really help you refocus and look at some areas of your life for 2012. And the message title is Living with Pressure. Living with Pressure. I remember when we got married, Chantal and I, and Philip and Daniel, they were there, and in, we, we got married in Norwich in England, and to be honest, I felt the pressure with the lead up to the wedding. Has anyone ever felt that pressure? I think that's some interesting pressure as you, as you uh, lead up to getting married. In fact, just five or six weeks before we got married, the church we were about to get married and we had all our decorations, it burnt to the ground. Someone set it on fire, as you, some of you all know that. And uh, that, I felt the pressure to find a brand new wedding venue in just a few weeks. And uh, I'm from rural England, and my wife is from East L.A. Her, her family was all involved in the gangs there. And uh, it was very interesting the moment that her family and my family met for the first time. I felt some pressure. And uh, got to meet my mother-in-law, bless her. And uh, I remember the night before we got married, the very night before we got married, we had a bit, we had a bit of a heated argument, my wife and I. And uh, I remember we even said maybe we shouldn't even be getting married. And thankfully, Chantel begged me to marry her that night. But the pressure, (laughs) the pressure on me that night and the pressure on us was building. And life is full of pressure. I looked up on the internet. What are the top 10 most pressurized jobs in the world? Do you want to hear what they are? Maybe one of you, some of you are part of those jobs. Number 10 is a real estate agent. We've got any of those guys We'll pray for you straight afterwards, okay? Number nine, a paramedic. Number eight, a stockbroker. Number seven, an architect. Number six, an advertising account executive. Sounds very posh. Number five, a newscaster. Number four, a photojournalist. Number three, a senior corporate executive. Number two, a PR executive. The number one pressurized job in the world. Who knows what it is? Pastor. No, I'm kidding. It's not a pastor. It's a commercial airline pilot. Pressure. Pressure. 
They say now that pressure is the number one cause of disease in America. The number one cause of disease in America. So I believe as Christians, we need to know how to handle pressure. Who's with me this morning? Some of you are just like, oh, this is one of those help yourself messages. Bear with me. I've come to realize this, is that we will always have pressure with us in life. Just part of life. Unless you don't want to do anything, have anything, or accomplish anything with your life. Okay, so if you don't want to have pressure in your life, that's cool. Okay, if you just want to go to heaven, park your life at the rapture bus stop, go for it. Okay, but if you want to do something with your life, accomplish something, you are going to have to, uh, um, you're going to, have to take on pressure. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it said this. It says, God created us for good works. Good works means pressure. I'm sure if I speak to Philip and Kelly, as awesome as this church is, it comes with pressure. If you want to do something with your life, it comes with pressure. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we handle the pressure? Because the enemy would love to use pressure to destroy us and take us out. As we look through the Bible, in fact, all the great leaders, all the great pioneers in the Bible, they lived with pressure. We think about Moses, tried to lead a million plus people through the desert to Canaan, providing sanitation, food, protection. Who knows, that was pressure. I wouldn't have wanted to be Moses. Paul, he was under some serious pressure. Shipwrecked, imprisoned, starved, abandoned. He was under pressure. Mary and Joseph. Now that was some serious pressure. She found out she was pregnant. She was engaged. Who knows that was pressure. What would people think? The family name. Jesus himself, as he hung on the cross, before he hung on the cross, the Bible says he sweated great drops of blood. Who knows that was he was living with pressure. You see, I've always looked at pressure as a bad thing. But actually, God showed me that as we do more for Him, as we increase our capacities with Him, pressure will increase. So if it means pressure is going to increase, we've got to increase with it. Pressure is good, it's just how we handle it. Because you were created for good works. You weren't created just as, you know, like I said, just to park at the rapture bus stop. You were created to do and achieve great things with your life. A lot of people... They pull back because they're scared of the pressures of this life. Actually, pressure can be a good thing. A good thing. We think about how God changes certain things. You think of caterpillars into butterflies. The pressure of metamorphosis, a life cycle of nine months. How a beautiful, uh, an ugly little caterpillar, when it comes under the pressure, can come into a beautiful butterfly. We think of sand into pearls. When sand is at the right temperature and it's under the right pressure, over a 20-year period, it can turn into a beautiful pearl under pressure. We think of coal, pressure on coal under the right temperatures in the right environments. Over hundreds of years, it can turn into a beautiful diamond. Some of you ladies have got some beautiful rocks on your fingers right now because coal went under pressure. Could it be that the pressure you're under right now God has got you exactly where he wants you. And in time, something beautiful is going to emerge out of this situation. You see, pressure will ultimately reveal what is going on inside of your life. How do we handle pressure? So I want to just 
go into the Word of God this morning, just set a little bit of background there, and apply three truths from the Word of God, how to apply to our lives when handling the pressures of this life. Now, when I said this morning, who's under some pressure, most hands went up in this room. So I know people this morning, you're living with pressure. Some of you, are, you know, you're challenged with it. But I want us to try and turn this whole concept on its head today and not say, oh, pressure is a bad thing. No, actually, pressure could be just where God wants you. It's just how do we live with pressure? And what principles from the Word of God can we apply to our lives and uh, see God do some amazing things? The first principle is this. We need to apply spiritual release to natural pressure. Apply spiritual release to natural pressure. In 1 Corinthians 1, 16, it says, Therefore, do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing. That is talking about the pressure coming in from the outside. Even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. God wants you to make you strong on the inside so that anything that happens on the outside cannot affect us. Do we have any air hosts or air hostesses in the room? Anyone? who has been in that industry? Well, some of you, definitely, who's ever been on an airplane? Okay, you will hear these famous words. I heard them last night. It says, in the event that the cabin loses pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the ceiling above you. First, place the mask over your own nose and mouth, and then assist others. Who knows these words? They're warming, warming words. You see, when a jet goes into the air, what they do is they pump extra pressure into the cabin of the jet to equalize the pressure on the outside. Because if not, your ears go crazy. I don't know if anyone's like me, but my ears go crazy. So what they do is they pump extra pressure on the inside to overcome the pressure on the outside. So a plane has two choices that it can make. The first choice is this. It can fly and overcome the pressure around it by applying extra pressure on the inside or it can stay on the ground and never achieve anything. But you know what? Planes were not designed to be parked and live in a hangar. Your life was not designed to be parked in a hangar. The Bible says that they that wait upon the Lord, in Isaiah 40 verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You were designed to soar. You were designed with purpose in your life. So if we're going to live out that purpose that God has for us, we've got to know how to handle the pressures of this world. And this principle here that Paul talks about to the Corinthians is that as the outward man, as we feel the pressure on the outside, we have to turn up the pressure on the inside. It's the same in our lives. We have to equalize what's going on on the outside with what's going on on the inside. A lot of people live life on the ground because they've never worked out how to neutralize the pressure of their life. They never saw Pressure today isn't, isn't against the body, it's against the mind. More people today are taking pills to stop anxiety, stress, relieve pressure than ever before. I was in Walmart only, only uh, on last week or the beginning of this week, and I love going into Walmart, especially we don't have that in South Africa. And I walk around, you know, it's got a whole section just on stress pills. You know, you can just buy a pill for this and a pill for that. And, you know, often we see that as the way of overcoming the pressure. But, you know... God didn't design you to take a pill for pressure. 
That's not how he designed you. Now, I hope, you know, sometimes we need to take things and the doctor prescribes things. That's what I'm talking about. Let, but let me tell you, there is a spiritual key here that no pill from Walmart can achieve. Slowing down is now seen as an anti-cultural thing to do. Who knows, we live in a fast-moving world, hey? Targets, goals, you know? The world is, we have never-ending to-do lists. We're never satisfied. And our brains are increasingly programmed for speed and delivery of results and outcomes. And so the pressure increases. But I believe that God is saying this morning, it's time for sinners to start neutralizing the pressure on the inside of our lives. Three or four months ago, I was, um, church had been really full on. I'd been going hard for about six months. I'm just really feeling, just, just feeling the pressure. And this is where God gave me this message. And I got a phone call from a guy in England who offered to fly me up to a place in South Africa called the Waterberg District in Limpopo province for a game drive. And just a beautiful, beautiful part of the world, just in the middle of nowhere. I mean, absolutely nowhere. And my phone didn't work. I mean, it was just awesome. It was just, we, we went on a helicopter and we landed in the middle of this, this, in the bush. And it was just the wildlife. We saw some beautiful animals. And I was just there for two or three days. We went out the first time. It was great. Anyway, in the, that night, I'd eaten some, eaten something, some, I don't know, some game meat, which didn't sit with me. And I, we were getting up really early to catch a, to catch a, a small helicopter even further into the, the bush. And uh, we were getting up at five. I got up and I was really sick. And I just said to the guys, look, I don't think it's going to be good for me. I'll just stay by the camp. I don't think it's good for me. I'm going to hold you back. You guys go and enjoy it. I'm just going to stay back for the day. And so that was cool. And God gave me this message. I was feeling the pressure of the, the, what was going on in life and just the busyness of everything. And God gave me this word. And he'd taken me all, all the way, I don't know, 1,500 miles across South Africa to give me this message because he was showing me that actually the pressure on the outside was not getting neutralized on the inside. And God wanted to do some DNA with me that day. And for the whole day, God and I got to hang out because my phone didn't work, my iPad, battery was dead. I just got to hang out with God for a whole day. And you might say, well, what does, that, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you. What happened is I was neutralizing the pressure on the inside. I was building myself up. And when I left that night, when I left the next day, I felt like a new man. I felt like I could overcome any pressure on the outside because I had taken myself out for 24 hours and I'd had some soul time with Jesus. And I just literally just prayed and walked and I'd hung out with Jesus for a day. And to be honest, I'm ashamedly say, I can't remember the last time I'd taken a whole day out just to hang with God, just to be there in nature and just to see these beautiful animals, to walk and to talk with Him. And suddenly something changed on the inside. Suddenly I had an inner strength on the inside. And when I left the Limpopo province that, that day, that night, I remember I got on a plane and I felt a completely different person. And I felt like I would be able to neutralize the pressure on the outside. And so when the outside pressure comes, you have to neutralize it with spiritual pressure on the inside. And some of us at the moment, the pressures we're dealing with on the outside, we're trying everything from pills, help yourself books, we're trying the latest craze on the internet, we're trying, and God is saying, hey, you just need to get in the secret place and begin to apply some spiritual release to natural pressure. Is someone getting this this morning? 
Psalm 23, the most famous chapter in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And when I came back from this trip, I did this whole thing with our church and our leaders on soul time. Soul time. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, find rest, O my soul. You know, life gets so busy. Busy, busy, busy. We're busy, busy, busy. Kids, school, work, gym, all this stuff. And we get so busy. And we neglect this one thing, which is soul time. You see, your body is made up of body. I mean, as humans, we're made up of body, mind, and soul. And we're brilliant at the body. You know, the body feels like some food. We go and get some dinner. The body feels good. Or the body feels like going to the gym and we want to get the endorphins pumping. We go to the gym. The body sorted out. Then it says the mind. And we're good at, you know, getting the mind triggered. We read a book or go to the library or go on the internet. And we, we can activate the part of the mind. And we leave this whole section out because it's called the soul. And David understood this when he said, He restores my soul. Going to the gym will not bring spiritual release to natural pressure to your soul. We try all these things. And I want to encourage you to spend some time to restore your soul. Some of you today, your souls are weary. Your bodies are strengthened maybe, or you, you know you've had breakfast this morning. You're feeling good. But some of you, your souls are weary. You can just tell this morning. And God today wants to restore your soul. And some of us need to take some time out over the next two or three weeks and you need to go and hang with God. There's no secret recipe for this. It's what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you and vice versa. But we've got to take some time out. Because let me tell you, the world is only going to get busier. The demands in your, the, your boss, the pressure on him is to deliver more. The demands is then put on you to, for you to deliver more. The pressure is only going to increase. Okay, you think about where we were 10 years ago. You look at the pressure is just increasing as communication gets more effective and, and faster. We've got to apply spiritual pressure to our lives. Are you getting this this morning? Your relationship with God has to be greater than the pressure outside of you. Whatever you're believing for, for God will mean extra pressure. John 1.4.4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you. We've got to access that greatness. Number two is this. We need to apply godly wisdom. Apply godly wisdom. So when we're living with pressures of this life, the first thing we, we do is we apply spiritual release to natural pressure. Then we apply godly wisdom. James 1 verse 5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of it who gives liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. Who's ever been under pressure and you've made a bad choice? Some of the worst choices we make, hey, are when we're under pressure. Looking back now, uh, the, the night before our wedding, imagine just the pressure of what was happening. Imagine if I'd have, you know, broke up with Chantel. She'd have still been single to this day, bless her. And... Uh, You know, if we don't deal with some of this stuff, it can actually hold us back from what God has for our lives. You see, when pressure comes, what a lot of people do, what we all do from time to time, is we change the priorities of our life. Let me, for an example, is this, you know, a lot of pressure is because it's self-inflicted. 
Okay, so we bring pressure on ourselves because of a lack of wisdom. So if financial pressure comes on us, what we can do is think, oh, I'll, I'll stop tithing this week. I'll stop giving. I'll stop giving this month. I'll stop tithing. And we actually don't apply godly wisdom to it. Maybe it's marriage pressure. We think, oh, you know, you've got problems in your marriage, so what I'll do is I'll just ignore my spouse. I'll just pretend it's not happening, and we brush it under the carpet. Maybe it's time pressure. Oh, you're so busy at work. I meet people all the time, and I'll bump into them in the mall, and I'll say, hey, we haven't seen you in church for ages. They say, I'm just so busy, I'm under pressure at work. And so what happens is, instead of of plugging time into church, they pull back because they're too busy. And the devil would love to do that with us, with our lives. The Bible says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. And he wants to take your time. He wants to try and take your finances to pull you back from church. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and live life to the full. And so when the financial pressure comes, and it will come, we know that. We're living in trying times. It's not a time to pull back. It's time to put your roots even deeper into the house of the Lord. The Bible says those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. If you want your life to move forward and flourish, you keep coming to church. If you're saying, I haven't got time at the moment to come to church, let me tell you, now is the time to put your roots even deeper. Serve even harder. Give even more time to the house of the Lord. Don't pull back. Don't pull back. Put your roots down deeper. Apply godly wisdom. Psalm 84 says, My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Your soul knows where it can get refreshed. You know, the devil, he does not want you to walk through those two doors. He will try every excuse in the sun to keep you out of this place. Why? Because your soul knows where it can get refreshed. Your soul knows, like we've talked about, your body can get refreshed at a gym. Your mind can get refreshed in a library, but your soul can't. Your soul, when you walk in these doors, your soul gets refreshed. When you begin to lift your hands, when you begin to worship, something happens to your soul. Something that a book can't do, something that a help yourself manual can't do. It's what your soul needs. And so the enemy knows that, so he tries any excuse, whether it's sickness, kids, anything to keep you from coming in within these four walls. You've got to recognize the traps of the enemy. We've got to apply godly wisdom to our lives. The enemy loves to put pressure on us and take us away from the the priorities in our lives. I believe this, never make a life choice or a big decision when you're under immense pressure. Never make those decisions because the enemy wants us to make, you know, Daniel and I and Philip last night, we were just talking about some of our, our friends we went through college, through Bible college with, and it's just sad. You know, some of them are doing awesome things, but some of them are just, you know, going through stuff, and it's just sad. Why? Because, you know, as pressure comes, they've not applied spiritual release to natural pressure, and they haven't applied godly wisdom into their life. And, you know, godly wisdom can simply look like this. Just keep showing up to the house of God. Just put that principle in your life. In 2012, come hell or high water, this is where you're going to be on a Sunday. There's nothing that can take you from the house of the Lord because this is where your soul will flourish. This is where your life will flourish. What comes off this stage is the Word of God. It will change your life. And so the enemy is going to do anything to try and take you out, to take you out in 2012. 
I encourage you to plant yourself. Make a core value of your life. In 2012, I am planted in the house of the Lord. There is nothing that can shake me. Even if so-and-so says something about you on the other side of the church, nothing can shake you. Nothing can shake you. I did a message on Sunday in, in Cape Town last week on offense and how the enemy loves to use offense. And as I looked up the word offense in the Greek, it means trap. And the enemy wants to trap us. He wants to trap us in this offense. And our lives, you know, if you see a mouse or a rat in a trap, who knows that its life is not moving forward anywhere. It is trapped. That is exactly what the enemy wants to do with us. When pressure comes and someone says something or we hear something or we get caught up in something, the enemy traps us. And you know what? We, I meet so many people and they're trapped. Who's ever met someone who's grown old but never grown up? Yeah? You met some of those people? You know why? Because they've lived in the trap. The enemy's come and he's just trapped them and their lives can't move forward. Let me tell you, make a decision, make a core value in 2012. You're going to live your life planted in the house of the Lord. The second thing, live without offense. Just make a decision. You're not going to be offended. I've made a decision in 2012. I am not going to be offended. I've just made that decision. You know, we get, Christians, we are the worst. We are the worst offense. Oh, we heard that and we gossiping and we leave the church. You know what? It is inevitable in 2012, someone is going to offend you in this church. I'm just telling you. Why? Because church is full of imperfect people, just like the nightclub down the road. That's why you have to make a decision now that you will not take on offense in 2012. So we're just going to live unoffendable. We're going to live unoffendable. That's how we live. Because if we don't, some of you, you're in the trap this morning. You're in the trap because someone 10 years ago said something about you, said something about you and hurt you, and you've just lived. And the enemy's like, brilliant, got him trapped. You know what? The enemy is not bothered about you being a Christian. He isn't bothered one iota. But he is bothered about you not being in the trap. Because a Christian who's not in the trap is going to be doing damage. He's going to be telling people about Jesus, inviting people to church. He's going to be doing that stuff. So what the enemy does is he sticks us in the trap. Great, got him. I'll go on to my next one. And that's how we live as Christians. We live trapped. This morning, God wants to set people free from the trap of offense. When that pressure comes, because it will come. And you know, I found this with offense. Offense often comes from the people closest to you. You've got to make a decision. My wife, my wife Chantelle, I'm going off a course a little bit, but is that okay? I'll just grab a little bit of water. My wife Chantelle, growing up in, in L.A., she was abused emotionally, physically, and sexually by her, by her stepdad. And um, she, obviously, that was a huge thing for her to deal with. And about three, three years ago, she said, she, we were talking, she said, I just cannot live with this in my life anymore. She'd forgiven him, but she'd not verbalized it. She'd forgiven him in her heart, but she'd not verbalized it, the pressure of what was happening. She just said, I need to, I need to, to let this thing go. And she was coming over to America with a Hillsong tour. And she met up with her, her stepdad and she put her arms around him. And she said, I love you and I forgive you. And this thing just flipped in her life. And I've just watched her life just soar and soar and soar. You know what? The enemy would love to see you trapped. And it's often the people who are closest to us that trap us. You know the, most, the tragedy of war is friendly fire. Does everyone know what friendly fire is? It's when the, that stuff comes from our own people, your own people, the people you expect more from, 
I did a message recently called Overcoming Friendly Fire because that is the stuff the enemy loves to use against us. Some of us, we've got to make a decision this morning. We're going to get over some stuff which happened to us five years ago, ten years ago. Do not live in the trap. Break out of the trap today and I promise you, you will live free. You will. It doesn't make them right, but it does make you free. And that's what forgiveness does. You don't have to agree with what's happened, but you just say, you know what, I forgive you. And it's amazing now how even with my wife, just watching her life, she was trapped, but now she's free. And you say, oh, John, you don't know what's been done to me. You know what, I don't. But I do know what Jesus can help you do. He can set you free. The Bible says who the sun sets free. Free and free indeed. Free from the trap. Are you getting this today? Sorry, I've gone off a bit there, but applying godly wisdom to our lives. He will give you the strength and the wisdom. And the third thing is this, and finally, we've got to apply the joy of the Lord. Apply the joy of the Lord. When you're going through pressure, apply the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah 8 verse 10, famous scripture. The joy of the Lord is my... It's about four of us said that. Come on, have we got some joy here today? Come on, give me a big smile. You look so much better. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's what Nehemiah said. Now, when I went, I, I, I've always quoted that scripture and loved it. I went back and studied it. I want to give you some context to this scripture just to show you that Nehemiah wasn't just having a nice day saying a few nice words. Nehemiah served as the cupbearer to the king. You all know that. Does everyone know what a cupbearer is? Okay, let me explain if you don't. A cupbearer in those days would literally, before the king had his lunch, his dinner, he would take the king's food and he would taste it to make sure that no one had poisoned the king or the, or, or, or the wine. He would taste it all. And he would, if it was good, if the, the cupbearer did not drop, drop dead, he would pass on the food to the king. Now, I've been under some pressure at work at Burger King and I've been under some pressure at work. But that is some serious pressure. Who knows that's pressure? You know, you're eating your, you know, you're eating your spaghetti thinking, is this the last spaghetti? Is this the last meatball I will ever eat? Thinking it could have been poisoned. Well, that was what Nehemiah, that was what Nehemiah was under pressure. What did he say? He said, the joy of the Lord will be my strength. He said, there is nothing that can steal my joy. No poisoned meatballs are going to steal my joy today. That's how he lived his life. He said, the joy of the Lord will be my strength. I believe this, to handle the pressures of this life, we've got to keep our joy. We've got to, there is too many dull, grey, boring, miserable Christians in this world for you to add to them. There isn't, there is, sorry. John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and live life to the full. Churches should be the happiest places in Baton Rouge. You should be the happiest person in your workplace. Why? Because the joy of the Lord lives inside of you. The enemy doesn't mind Christians. He just doesn't want happy ones. Because if you're happy, you're a fruit bearer. People are going to see something in you and want it. Because while everyone's, under pre- while everyone's under the same pressure at work, you walk in happy. And everyone looks at you and thinks you're weird. And you say, I'm not weird. I've just got the joy of the Lord alive in my life. And it's different. It's different. Joy is different to happiness. Happiness is short term. 
Joy is something spiritual, eternal inside of our lives. You know, I, I, we, we live in South Africa, and it's one of the most diverse countries in the world. You know, one, you know, one side of town is, you know, just affluent and, you know, five-star, six-star hotels and some of the most expensive real estate in the world. On the other, on the other side of the, the town, we've got people living in tin sheds. It's two million people in one, in one suburb. Two million people homeless in one suburb. Let me tell you, that is a mess. Do you know, when I go into places called Kailicha, when I go into Kailicha, they are the most happiest people, full of the joy that I know. You walk in there and they are just smiling, they're happy. Why? Because they understand that joy is not about stuff, joy is eternal inside of them. Then I go to a six-star hotel and meet all these tourists who are the most miserable people I've ever met. Got everything in life naturally, but got nothing. Then I go into a township where they've got absolutely nothing in life but have everything. And some of us have got to get a realization of what we do have. If you're looking for happiness for the latest gadget in Walmart, you're going to get disappointed every time. You are. You're going to get disappointed. You've got to dig deep, the Bible says, and go to the well of joy. And you can pull up joy anytime you want. You can go to the well. With joy shall I draw water from the well of salvation. That well is available to you. It doesn't cost money. You've got to go there. Draw it up. You might wake up in the morning and feel like death. Draw some joy up. Draw some joy up. Because, you know, I could buy you all a brand new car. Whatever car you wanted, I could buy you a brand new car. You know what? In 12 months, you wouldn't be happy. It wouldn't bring you short-term happiness. You think, wow, drive the new Cadillac. It's happy. But let me tell you, joy is eternal. Joy is eternal. It's something different about joy. And you know, when pressure comes, you've got to be able to keep your joy. You've got to go to, go to that well and pull up some joy. Are you getting this today? Yeah. This morning, you might have lost your joy. God wants to restore your joy. In Psalm 51 verse 12, it says, I will restore to you the joy of your salvation. He wants to restore your joy. Some of us need to start laughing again. Some of you haven't laughed in weeks. Some of you haven't told a clean joke in many, many a year. Because of the pressures of this world. Who loves to be around fun people? I love being around fun people. And sometimes the pressure, I can even tell the pressure, the, the, the mood has changed in this room already because we're, we're, it's lighter, because we're laughing, we're joking. Laughter is contagious, it's fun. I want to be around people who are full of life. It's gone quiet. Proverbs 17 verse 22 says, A joyful heart does good like a medicine. Can I read you something? It says, Laughter, along with an active sense of humor, may help protect you against a heart attack, according to a study of cardiologists at the University of Maryland Medicine in Baltimore. The study, which is the first to indicate that laughter may help prevent heart disease, found that people with heart disease, listen to this, were 40% less likely to laugh in a variety of situations compared to the people of the same age with a heart disease. The old saying that laughter is the best medicine definitely appears to be true. 40%. People who laugh more have got 40% less chance of a heart disease. Well, if that doesn't make you laugh, nothing will. Some of us have got to get our laughter back again. Lighten up. Don't let the pressure of life steal your joy. God wants to give you your joy. You know what Christian means? It means Christ living inside of you. 
When you walk into your work, when you walk into your home, the joy of the Lord should be all over you. You should radiate Jesus. I remember once Philip's granddad, who's passed on now, sadly, he told a story, he got on an airplane. He's flying from England to Atlanta. And the air hostess came up to him and she said, you're a Christian. And he said, what makes you say that? She said, I can just tell because Jesus is all over you. What a testimony. What a compliment for someone to say that. Didn't even open his mouth, but Jesus was all over him. That's exactly how we need to live. We can't live this life with the pressure of life, just walking around with sad, miserable faces. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive in us. He should be shown on our faces, shown on our countenance. Everywhere we go, despite what the pressure is happening, we apply spiritual release to natural pressure, apply godly wisdom, and apply the joy of the Lord. And let me tell you, in 2012, we are in for the greatest year of our lives. Whatever pressure comes, the Bible says, if God be for us, what can be against us? What pressure, what thing at work, what thing in our family can stand against us when we have God alive inside of us? I hope you got something from that today. Come on, why don't we all stand to our feet, the band the band can come up. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.